how you can get McDonald's crispy chicken sandwich. McDonald's spicy crispy chicken sandwich. And or filet of fish. Any two for just six bucks. Sounds really good, doesn't it? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. A single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Charles didn't have just any coronary artery disease. He had Charles's coronary artery disease. Michelle didn't have just any heart attack. She had Michelle's heart attack. At VCU Health Poly Heart Center, we know every heart is unique. And as Virginia's only nationally ranked heart program, we'll keep them beating healthy and strong. VCU Health Poly Heart Center. Learn more at vcuhealth.org slash heart. That's from there um, is when we actually start the show. So technically right now we are live on Facebook, uh, YouTube, and Twitter via Periscope. Um, let's see here. Click over there for that. It's more for you than than for them because they know. This is kind of, yeah. like I said, this is behind the scenes. We're just going through everything while I do the prep work here, making sure everything's running for our sound errors and all that jazz. Awesome. appreciate you keeping me in the loop. Yeah, yeah, not a problem at all. That's that's kind of what we do here. I, I don't want you to get lost or feel like you've gotten something, uh, you've gotten stolen from you, so. <laughs> there we go. All right, cool. Everything is set. Hey, people on Facebook. Let me see what we got going on. We got Nicole in one group. We got Erica in another. You guys really should just join the same same Facebook feed. It makes it a lot easier because you guys really play off of each other. Um, if you don't know, um, let's see, transition this. There you go, Julian. Julian, if you don't know, um, the people that we have on our feeds and the people that conversate back and forth, they have a lot of conversation uh, while this is going on. So uh, during the commercial break is when, you know, we really, uh, we, we go through when we converse and, uh, I point out some jokes or something like that when they have, and unless we're having a really good conversation, and then we just keep on going. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see here, what's going on? Da da da, bum bum. See, <laughs> uh, Nicole, Erica is actually in the Mojo room right now. She is in the Mojo room. Wow, that sounds really bad. I need to. What What is up. the Mojo room? Well, so we have. Uh, we're we're uh, we're hosted by a radio company called Mojo Five O. Mm-hmm. Um, Doc Thompson, the cartel, uh, the the conservative cartel. They they started Mojo Five O Radio. We also play on their not only on their radio set but on their uh, Facebook feed. So cool. So the Mojo Room is for those people. Aha. Ah, let me see here. Okay. Okay, we got about um, about thirty seconds before we go live, guys, just to keep you informed. Bum, bum, bum. Kick that going. Let's see and transition that over. All right. So easy for you to do, but uh, I'm going to go to radio silent for the next about fifteen seconds. All right. All right. Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Defenders of American Exceptionalism. We are live. You can find us on pretty much every social media, but uh, specifically you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, forward slash DOA show, forward slash DOA show on those. You can also find the video feed on facebook.com forward slash DOA show, YouTube, 
at the DOA Show, and you can also find us on the Facebook feeds for Mojo 5.0 Radio, where we are live as well as on their radio stream. <sighs> With us tonight, we have Julian. You're going to have to say your last name for me. Adorney. Adorney. I didn't want to say it. It's like, <laughs> is it a league attorney, but it's just a D? What are we doing here? Okay, got common it. issue, yeah, yeah, common issue, and I didn't want to screw it up. We have Julian Doherty with us. Um, he's written a couple of pretty awesome articles. Uh, one for what is that? Uh, Fee, which is the Foundation for Economic Education, as well as uh, uh, the American Conservative. So uh, you guys can find his articles in our links. Uh, just go to the drop down on the See More page. You can also you, you can look at our stuff there, and his information is there as well. How are you doing tonight, Julian? I'm great. Thanks so much for, ha- for having me, Stephen. Oh. Awesome, awesome stuff. Let's see. So everybody knows the whole idea with driverless cars mm-hmm. and all that. Um, you have a different perspective on it, and it seems pretty good. Um, just, just the headline of your story, how driverless cars will help Americans escape police oppression. Go for it. All right. So the basic idea is that most people don't realize this, but we forfeit most of our Fourth Amendment rights the minute we get onto the road, the minute we get into a car. And the reason for that is that cops have very broad leeway to pull you over for, you know, turning without using your blinker or for speeding or missing a stop sign, even for things that the cops believe are against the law but actually aren't. Um, I had a friend whose wife was pulled over for having a Christmas tree ornament in hanging off a rearview mirror, which is extremely legal. You know, those things sell millions, but the cop thought it was illegal, so pulled her over. Wow. And then, yeah, it was crazy. And then from there, what happens is police can't automatically search your car. They cannot Mm. automatically search your car um, just by pulling you over. But what they are trained to do is use a variety of tactics, leaning pretty heavily on the fact that most people aren't going to say no to a cop. Um, to try and push you to consent to a search, asking, mm. you know, do you mind if I look around a little bit? Seemingly innocuous questions that if you say yes, as most people do, you allow them to search your vehicle. So what you essentially have is a system where cops have a ton of leeway to pull over pretty much anyone on the road because we all mess up traffic laws. You know, we all turn without signaling. We all, you know, speed a couple miles over. We all probably commit two or three infractions per day Mm -hmm. even the best drivers and so cops have this broad latitude to pull everyone over and then kind of pressure us into into letting them search our cars oh yeah for sure i got you there yeah and then so where driverless cars help is that they eliminate these these pretexts these pretexts because driverless cars are not going to run a stop sign they're not going to turn without signaling they're not going to go over the speed limit. So cops don't necessarily have an excuse or pretext to pull you over and then press you into letting them search, search your car. Okay. Well, so, what, what, so, so what about something like this? Um, take this for example. Let's say I had, at the time, which at 16 years old, if I had a self-driving car, that would have been amazing. But let's say 16 years old, I had a self-driving car. Just so happened that one of the, one of the brake lights was out. Mm-hmm. Cop decides to pull us over because the brake light's out. Cop then, says, cop then says, you know, you're 16 years old. Uh, you have a couple friends in the back. You fit the profile of somebody who might be pushing drugs in this area. We're going to have to search your car. Hmm. Is that what you're kind of talking about here? Exactly, yeah. Although with a, with a self-driving car, you may still have the brake light go on so the cops have an, have an option to pull you over there. Mm-hmm. But you can drastically cut down on the options they have to pull you over because you won't be driving over the speed limit. You won't be, you know, running stop signs. You won't be doing all the other things that 16 year olds do on a routine basis. Right, right. It'll be more of a, it'll be more of a, everything's GPS located. Everything's automated for a certain set. All the roads are mapped out and already programmed into the computer. So when there's a stop sign, there's a stop sign and it stops mm-hmm. and then the cars in front of us, they're all automatically programmed for the same thing. So doesn't matter what happens there unless a deer runs out into the middle of the road even then they have all the new technology to sense things that happen around a car stops that from happening stops 90 percent of the accidents um 
Wasn't that one of your, one of your stats? What was it uh, that not only uh, could it reduce other things, but it could, re- it could reduce uh, driverless cars could reduce traffic deaths by ninety percent? Exactly. Yeah, um, and that's from a fairly recent study. And the reason for that is that humans make a lot of mistakes when we're driving. Mm-hmm. Um, and because there, there's an old joke, you know, that no matter whether you're whether you're black, you're white, you're Mexican, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're rich, you're poor, we all have one thing in common. Mm. We all think we're better than average drivers. <laughs> but we're not. Most of us suck at driving. Most, Most of, us, of us do, yes. Yeah. <laughs> not not you and not me, of course. But <laughs> people. Of course, of course. Not at all. Yeah. No. And so self-driving cars, they're not going to text on the road. They're not going to, you know, do three shots and then drive to a party. They're not going to... Um, you know, swerve three lanes, try and catch their exit while, you know, chugging a big gulp with one hand and trying to steer with their knees because they've got a Big Mac in the other hand. Oh, so never. What are you cars, talking about? Yeah. That never happens. <laughs> self-driving cars can really reduce the amount of human error. And that's that's the cause of a lot of crashes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what would you say to the newest studies that have been out that also point out and project that, um, self-driving cars are going to lead to things like more sex in cars. I think that's an unexpected bonus. <laughs> that's for you, Erica, because you still want to drive your car, but you're listening. So there you are. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So we have, uh, we have the safety issues. We have the bonuses. Anyway. Um, what are, what are some drawbacks to having self-driving cars? What what are the what are the things that are actually going through with that? Well, I think there are two big drawbacks. One is that self-driving cars are very expensive right now. Mm-hmm. And this is a temporary drawback because if you if you look at the cost at the price of technology, technology keeps getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper every year while the quality goes up and up and up, you know. Right. The phone that I have have on my desk is better than any phone Steve Jobs or Bill Gates could have afforded. Yes, um, at and the it, time. Yeah, and it was a lot cheaper too. So I think that the fact that self-driving cars right now run six figures, mm-hmm. that's a big drawback, but give it five years, they'll be down to the price of a, a Ford Impala. Well, it's only a drawback for those who want to invest early, um, yeah. which which is always the common uh, common thing. So what happens with every technology and every emergent technology, um, unless it gets quashed by certain other companies or governments, um, is that the the rich folks buy the first versions, and then with the money that they use to buy those versions, the companies then learn how to adapt, how to make things less expensive, and over the course of five, ten years you find uh, something that it's like a big screen TV and LCD uh, LCD TV. I can get, I got, you know, a 55 inch 4k ultra HD for a couple hundred bucks. Whereas heck, even a, just a flat screen TV f- five years ago, 10 years ago was going to cost you over a thousand. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that's, it's, so what we're looking at is yes, it's incredibly expensive. Um, and yes, I would love the fact that, you know, my car could drive itself as long as it also has a manual mode. And by manual, I don't mean, you know, shifting because, you know, most people don't know how to do that anymore. But what I do mean is I mean an actual manual driving mode, you know, uh, take it out of autopilot, if you will. That's one thing that I think a lot of people worry about. And there's sort of this idea that. If things go wrong, you know, if there's rain or there's weather or there's, you know, someone swerves in front of them, they they want to be the one in control. Mm. And I think that's that, that's a reasonable fear. Um, and I think that car companies will benefit if they allow that that manual mode because it does give give consumers a, an option to keep doing that. Yeah, if you if you give us the option to keep driving, um, it'll yeah. make us. It, it's it's. It's walking us in to yeah. a possibility. If you, you give us the cool stuff, but yeah, you can still do the other stuff. It's okay. But you give us yeah. the cool stuff with it, it <sighs> makes it more accessible to everybody. It makes it, not le- it makes it less of a 
oh, that's just for those rich people that don't do anything, you know, don't want to drive their cars anymore. No, it's also for some of the regular people or just the people that have enough money to do it, you know, that like driving, that like that feel of control, that like that to get out and go. But, I mean, what's the what are some of the benefits? Um, well, one, you can eat your Big Mac, right? Mm-hmm. And drink your soda at the same time. Yep. One in each hand. You never have to worry about it, right? Uh, you could read a book on the way. Mm-hmm. Technically, you could sleep in a little more on the way, right? Yep. Technically, <laughs> you could get your little visor blinders and just uh, you know lay back in the chair, put some put some good music uh, music on, and pass out. So there are a lot of things that you can do. There, you, you could have. You you could actually start your day, your business day, a lot sooner, if you're in that world, aren't? Wouldn't you? Exactly. Yeah, and that's one of the areas where I think we'll see big productivity gains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think uh, so too, and that'll yeah, be that'll definitely be a big benefit. Julian, yeah, yeah. hold on, stick with me. This All is right. a, this is a music that you hear is a commercial break. Hold on one second. Ah, gotcha. Yay, commercial break is on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was wondering, I was like, should I keep talking? Like, should I, did someone get hit, hit the sound button or what? No, 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 no. So here's the thing. Um, with the commercial breaks, no matter what happens, um, you know, on the radio side, their commercials just start and it doesn't okay. matter. So boom, it starts. They're not going to hear us talking for the next three minutes. The three minutes that we have right now, the only people that hear us are the people that, go, that are going to listen to the podcast later. And those that are going to uh, that are actually watching us live. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so it's kind of a little benefit for for those around. It's good times, yeah. good times for all, right? Let me see here. Oh, oh, thank you for the happy birthday, guys. Thanks, that's very nice. Let me see here. I will take my chances with driving a car and getting a ticket. I know, Jules. I feel you. I feel you. But if it was cheap, and if you had to do it, just saying. Oh, let me see. Da, 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 got that. Erica quoted your reasonable fear ah. as, as perfect, so that's good. Let's see here. Or you could just drive because it's fun. I know, yes, we could just drive because it's fun. But see, like we just got to. Go right ahead. Go right ahead. The way I think of it is driving can be fun, but you know, after the fifth time that you know your girlfriend or your boyfriend says, "Hey, we can make out in the back seat," if we put this thing on autopilot, maybe you'll find something more fun than driving. <laughs> yeah, like playing Uno or yeah. checkers, or you know. <laughs> hey, uh, you want to do something fun in the back? <laughs> That's terrible. Terrible bad times. No good. Very bad things. Let me see. Had to wait for the break so I didn't shake your mojo. Happy birthday, Mr. Cool Dude Radio Voice. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Nicole. Oh, is it your birthday today? Yeah, it is. All right. Well, happy birthday. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. See. And don't worry, Nicole. You won't shake my voice. That's my radio voice. (laughs) Oh, man. You guys are amazing. Let me see here. I'm sorry that you can't see everything on there, but you you just watch it scroll and you can you can respond to anything that you want. Please don't be don't be shy. Um, all right, all right. Hold on one second. And And we're back. You're listening to the Defenders of American Exceptionalism. We have Julian with us. Julian Adorni. Adorni? Mm-hmm. Adorni. Yep. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Ah, oh, I said it right. Yes. Ah, oh, we're playing it a little fast and loose here. Sorry. Oh, so um, you're not just a tech guy. 
Nope. You also like to uh, like to go into you know education and how we're doing and what we're doing. Um, and apparently, you've also read a couple of good books. Absolutely. <laughs> um, unlike many many of the young age as ours would do. Um, so let's talk about this. The mad rush to college is killing our children's entrepreneurial spirit. Come at me. All right. So the basic point is that I, I hate to be one of those old folks, you know, waving my fist like, get off my lawn, kids. There's something wrong with this generation. <laughs> but so, so I want to stress this isn't, you know, kids' fault. But the way we structure society is that there's, there's this mad rush to college. And it's sort of consuming children's lives. You know, you have to you have to get a 4.0 in middle school so that you, you know, you have to get an A in biology so that you can go on to advanced AP biology in high school and then, you know, ace that test and then go into Stanford. You have to spend all your free time, you know, on piano recitals or playing after school football or doing other extracurriculars so you can build up a, a fantastic resume to get into, you know, Wesleyan or Yale or wherever. And mm-hmm. so it creates this kind of resume arms rush for children and the danger, there are a lot of dangers there, but one of the big ones is a crowded out childhood, you know, because you don't really have time. If your days are rigidly structured where you go to school and then you do homework and then you do, you know, piano recitals and then you do after school hockey and then you do more homework and then you do SAT prep, you don't really have time to be a kid. You don't have time to, you know, go skateboarding with your friends or climb trees or things like that. Mm-hmm. And those are really important because they're self-guided behaviors, you know, you don't have an adult looking over your shoulder saying, hey, reach for that branch. You're just doing it on your own. And developing that that self-confidence, the ability to, to navigate the world without adult supervision mm-hmm. is really critical if you want to become an entrepreneur. Oh, it really is. Uh, being able to do things on your own, making sure that you are willing to take a step out and to, to reach for something that you know may or may not be there. Mm-hmm. Um that that sort of thing is being lost in a generation where they're so structured um, and their life is so centered around sit, yeah. sit down, sit down and read, sit down and do this, sit down and learn this um, instead of just allowing what, what would be called what free play. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that you have a curriculum for kindergarten, that's more yeah. than learn your alphabet and you know count to 20 and stuff like that yeah <laughs> and then just a whole bunch of play that i mean i so just a just just a thought they have my daughter learning learning spanish she is 4 years old in pre-k in a in a private in a public school they have her learning spanish um you know the basics and they have her learn but it's all intermittent with play mhm it's, you know, play for 30, 40 minutes. Then we're going to learn something. Play. Uh, then we'll learn a little thing. Then we'll sing a song. It'll be a happy dance. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And um, after about second grade, you lose it. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that seems to be the case. After about second grade, it's, you know, oh, you have five different classes and you have to go between you have to go between to get yourself ready to go into different classes for each year and you're going to have to sit down and you're going to have to study this and you may have 20 or 30 minutes of going outside and playing mm-hmm. but it's going to be very structured and very utilitarian and it has so much to do with SAT prep and and so much to do with you know learning and and studying and going to college but you don't what is the percentage of kids that actually go to college that graduate high school. I don't actually know that offhand. Well, I can tell you from my generation, from our generation, mm-hmm. I don't know. How old are yeah. you? Uh, 27. Okay, see, I'm 32 now. Um, so I'm just a few years above yours. But from the people that graduated with my class, mm-hmm. it was roughly about 60% actually uh-huh. went to college. Yeah. It's not that bad. It's good. But at the same point in time, that 60%, you have 40% that spent all of that time doing something they would never touch again. Exactly, yeah. And and you find, too, that for a lot of people, college isn't the right solution. Um, speaking personally, I spent five years as an English major and advertising major. And 
it was fun. Um, I made some good friends. Mm-hmm. I wrote some papers that I enjoyed. But the one internship where I ran a startup um, my senior year, that did more for my career growth than all five years of just sitting there taking notes, writing essays. Mm, exactly. You know, so it, it, it's not valuable for everyone. No, it really isn't. I actually did the um, I did the graduate early and then work, go to go to work. That's what I did. I I, I was never one to go to college, and uh, I knew it. I knew it from the start and I knew it from the get go. Yeah, I could go to, uh, I could learn, I could take a class or two or I could learn something uh, if, if they were teaching something specific or I could go to a technical school. But I learned very early on um, in school that college was not the place for where I needed to be. Mm-hmm. And to have all of that time prepping and, 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 and setting up even in even in our generation, which, by the way, the difference between ours and the iGen is crazy. Absolutely. I mean, just to just to think, you know, uh, what were what were they expecting us to know in in first and second and third grade, uh, and then now to what they're what they're what they're trying to achieve with these kids, um, pushing on them all of these scholastic deals and everything else that's going on, trying to make sure that they have a curriculum for their entire life spanned out in front of them so that they know where they're going to go. Oh, you're going to be an AP English um, and calculus by, by eighth grade and all this other mess. It it seems rather silly to me. (laughs) (laughs) It does. And it's weird because, you know, we're trying to have higher standards for children. We're trying to push them harder, make them more successful. But oftentimes we're doing the opposite, you know, we all we all hear horror stories about, you know, twenty five year olds whose parents show up with them to their job interviews and say, "I want to make sure you're treating little Johnny fairly." Mm-hmm. Um, and and we laugh at those at those young people, but what do we expect? You know, they've never been outside of adult supervision the entire in their entire formative years, their entire childhood, their teenage years. They've always had parents or teachers hovering around them, telling them what to do. Mm-hmm. Should we be surprised they aren't they aren't capable of going to a job interview? On their own, you know, we, the, not not we, but like the previous generation of parents created this phenomenon. Yeah, and uh, I won't say my 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 parents because my parents definitely didn't. Um, yeah. they're they're like, get, go 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 <laughs> go play, go go do, go <laughs> get out of the house, you know that sort of thing. So my my parents were 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 rather old school in that that sort of thing, and I I, I look back on it now and I really appreciate it, but at the same point in time. I have four kids. I have an eight-year-old. And I can pretty much, other than, you know, going in our backyard and, you know, unsupervised, going in our backyard sort of thing, even though I know, I know, without a shadow of a doubt, I know it is safer on the streets today than it was when I was their age. Mm-hmm. I, I can't do it. <laughs> and I don't know what is going on. Well, there, there's a difference between the stats that we see in terms of rising safety because you're right. The U.S. is the safest, much safer now for children than it was 1950s when, you know, when parents were finally letting their kids run all over the place. Mm-hmm. But then we turn the, turn the TV every night and we see stories of, you know, murder, stories of theft, stories of armed robbery. And as humans, we're not great at psychologically at recognizing that those are very small piece of the puzzle mm. instead we suffer um, hard from it's not confirmation bias but something similar right right, we, right. It, yeah. con- uh, confirmation bias almost except we're not quite yeah. yeah I think we might have to dig a little bit deeper into this hold on one second we'll be right back alright yay another commercial break <laughs> uh no, my daughter's name is not Dora. Come on. Dora the Explorer. Jeez. She doesn't have a monkey or any of that. Don't give me that mess. <laughs> oh goodness. Apparently everybody was so entranced with their conversation that they didn't actually talk that much. So that's pretty cool. Awesome. 
hey, look at that. You're making some conversation on your own here. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, it's not confirmation bias. Yeah. But um, it's just the constant barrage of, of negativity, of negative press, of things happening to people, of, of, of all of these stories that are one-offs and pretty mm-hmm. bad one-offs, but one-offs. I mean, to give an example, what is that? The, the school shootings? Yeah. There were massively more. Amount, there was a massive uh, surge of school shootings when my parents were growing up versus now. Mm-hmm. It's just we hear about every situation this time. And normally the school shootings back in their age was more like a one kid shot another kid. Yeah. Not, um, you know, one kid came in and shot 15 people. Mm-hmm. Or not a terrorist cell out in the middle of Nevada or out in the middle of the New Mexico desert training children so that they can fire and shoot up schools. You know, we don't yeah. hear about that. Like, that's not what they did back then. It was, by the way, did you hear, hear about that story, right? I did. Yeah. That was crazy. It's, it doesn't, it makes sense. But at the mm-hmm. same point in time, I'm really glad they caught them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> it bothers me so much because it's, it's such a contradiction mm-hmm. because I know fact. I know the facts. I can't spit them out all the all the time, but I know the facts and I know the percentages um, of 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 differences in the generations and how everything is going. And yet, still, to this day, I can't uh, you know other than going to my uh, let my kids go into the backyard. Yeah, I can't. I can't do it, and it doesn't make sense. It's a tough. Uh, conundrum it's tough contradiction you know because we do the these the minute you see a negative story it can be broadcast all over the place it can happen in baltimore but you're gonna see it in california mm-hmm. and especially with school shootings you find children who talk about how they're terrified every day of walking in and seeing a gunman and that makes some sense. And we're back. And if you heard that conversation coming up on the uh, on the sound of music there, that was because I didn't keep track of time. You know, I was just talking and he was talking back. Anyway, finish your thought. Finish your thought. All right. So we have children who are feeling terror, you know, very scared and very traumatized at the idea of a school shooting. They walk in every day and say they're they're scared of seeing a gunman. Mm-hmm. And I think that's our fault as society because we School shootings are are vanishingly small. They're they're very horrific, and we should absolutely be trying to minimize them. But they're also a tiny, tiny risk. Um, but we've sort of blown them out of proportion with, you know, con- with um, daily shooter drills and you know convincing kids that they're constantly at risk of this thing. When when again, as horrifying as school shootings are, and as much as we should really try and minimize them, kids are at much more risk of you know, dying in a car crash. For sure, for sure. It's like back in the day when they did the uh, um, the drills for atomic bomb drops yeah. and all the kids had to get under the desk and hide under the desk. That wouldn't have done anything for you, man. <laughs> it would never, you would have just been a burnt crisp under a desk and that would, have, yeah. that would have been the end of you. So I'm sorry to tell you, your drill was for naught. And it's the same thing here. Your drill is for naught. I mean, when you have kids that need their parents to go to interviews with them, or you have kids in college saying that they have PTSD because of, a, of an election. I there's saw something, that, yeah. there, There's something very wrong with this generation coming, uh, that this generation that is currently about to become adults. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, it makes me so sad. Although there is a good, there's a good, there's a good point. iGen seems to be, you know, they're about to be in their um, rebellion phase, like the good bout of iGen. And a lot of the yeah. iGen rebellion is actually moving toward a libertarian conservative bend. So that's really good. That is very hopeful, yeah. It's like they see the stupidity in it. It's like, this is idiot. What? What? What is this? So much idiocy. Yeah. I'm done. You guys are morons. <sighs> 
But let me let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. A woman spends a month uh, spends multiple months in jail after a lab finds meth in her car, but it was actually just cotton candy. That is troubling for a lot of reasons. Yes. You see, this happened in New Year's Eve, uh, 2016. Um, she was pulled over um, for her tinted windows, and the cops and the officers involved knew that they were actually legally tinted. Like, it wasn't past the tent, tent portion. They knew it was legally tinted, but they pulled her over anyway. Um, and when they got through, they noticed that there was an open plastic bag in her car. Um, and there was a blue substance in the car, uh, in the, in the open plastic bag. And apparently they must've been watching Breaking Bad at the time, um, because there was a big thing about blue meth on Breaking Bad, which is fake. It's false, by the way. It's false. Uh, meth is not blue, um, or it will never become blue unless you dye it, um, so that's that's neither here nor there. But anyway, she was arrested and she was uh, put in jail for meth because their field tester came up with a positive on meth from her cotton candy. Yeah, this really highlights the dangers, apart from anything else, the dangers with field testing. Um, similar to drug sniffing dogs, you know, field tests are not reliable. They they will turn up they will they will show positive for drugs like marijuana or positive in this case for meth mm-hmm. for almost anything um they they're essentially a tool that cops can use to to arrest you because they think oh well that this might be drugs let's just catch as broad and as possible yeah yeah not only did they arrest her but they actually put her in jail for for months on end um you see that was new years when that happened, um, she was let go in March of 2017. Um, after the actual lab did a test and realized that it was not an illegal substance, it was just sugar with some food dye. Apparently, this specific testing machine does a false positive result um, with blue food dye. That, that is deeply troubling. And that <laughs> this happens a lot in the criminal justice system, you know? Yes, yes. You have um, DNA tests that for years were touted by the by um, prosecutors as the gold standard of evidence. Mm-hmm. Most of them are wrong. Um, you have drug-sniffing dogs that are, you know... Cued? Yeah, that their cops will train them, you know, throw a tennis ball behind their back or something, the dog will start barking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have in our society this this apparatus where we tend to trust these supposedly non-biased entities, be they, um, dr- be they, you know, DNA tests, drug sniffing dogs, or drug tests themselves that are really very biased, um, and very, really very untrustworthy. Oh yeah. Extremely untrustworthy. Um, and to that effect, uh, this lady, um, has gotten herself a good lawyer. She's suing Monroe County, Georgia, um, who are the deputies? That's that's where they were from. Um, she's also suing the company that makes the field tester uh, because uh, it came up with a false <laughs> false positive test on something as simple as sugar. Um, and I think she's suing one other entity and i can't remember where i couldn't find the rest of it from where it is but anyway so she's doing a huge 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 setup suing pretty much everybody involved um which is going to cost the taxpayers quite a bit of money for a screw-up of a couple of police officers Mm -hmm. yeah that's one of the tragedies that we see when people sue the government is there, there are two big problems one is that the government is very hard to successfully sue, much harder than a private company. Mm-hmm. And the second problem is that when, when you sue the government successfully and make them pay damages, it's coming out of your pocket. You know, it's not these two officers aren't going to pay out of, out of their pockets. Um, it's not going to be oh, the no. police department that pays. Mm-mm. It'll be taxpayers. 
Oh yes, of course. It'll it'll definitely be taxpayers, and they'll be um, even if she's technically if she lives there, she's mm-hmm. technically going to be paying her own bill, which is really <laughs> funny to me. Yeah. Um, there's always a downfall to suing the government. Like you mm. said, it's hard to do. Um, their lawyers are much better than anyone that you can afford. Um, and along with that, any money that you do get is just hurting everybody else. It's not hurting the, uh, the, it's not hurting a major company. It's not hurting another thing. It's hurting your fellow man because mm-hmm. you're making their taxes go up to pay for your bill. Um, but, Adding on to that, that she's suing the sec- the company that makes the tester. Maybe she's just doing the 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 the, the county because of the, the 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 fact that she was in jail. Maybe she's yeah. just trying to sue for her time back for that, and then she's going to get her big bucks from the company. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, the company is liable here as well. You know, they have a moral obligation to make sure their products are not turning up false positives in something that's as as high stakes as criminal justice. Whoa, whoa. You're bringing up morals in this? No, sir. <laughs> They're business. A business isn't a person. A business is just a business. This is capitalism. There's no morals in capitalism unless you actually read, you know, moral sentiments. But there's no morals in capitalism. There's actually a good amount of data that capitalism creates a more moral society than socialism. And part of the reason is that in capitalism, if I want to get rich, I have to serve a lot of people. You mm-hmm. know, I'm, I do marketing, so I have to serve my clients. I have to serve my boss. I have to serve my company. I have to make all of their lives better. And once you realize in capitalism that the, that the best way to get rich is by serving other people, it sort of creates a higher level of morality than you see in socialist societies. Oh yeah, well that's that's the entire point. Um, that's why when you hear about the invisible hand of the market and everything else, and you hear about um, so it's not uh, capitalism if, without morality, without a moral standard, capitalism turns very quickly into cronyism, mm-hmm. turns very quickly into Amazon, which we all enjoy. But I mean, come on, you just. <laughs> you you just got two different states to pay you know multi billion dollars to get you get you into their into their into their state. Mm-hmm. Come on, that's that's a bit of cronyism. That's Absolutely, a bit of cronyism. That that's that's highly immoral and uh, and a hugely immoral action. But hopefully, what happens with this is is the is the best result. One, these people decide that they don't want this sort of problem to happen again. So they're not just going to pull somebody over for some erroneous charge. Like, Hey, your tent is a little too dark even when it's not. And because your tent is too dark, we're going to search your car because you got a plastic bag with some blue stuff in it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> hopefully, hopefully they learn. Hopefully the company learns. And if the company learns, then, uh, you know, they'll make the tester better. Just like hopefully when they train dogs, they don't train them to just go on command to do uh, to bark or to do something else, but they go on command to actually find drugs. But that is again, the hope. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then again, if you do a, if you give a dog a cookie every time mm-hmm. he barks, I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. If you give a dog a cookie when he barks, he's gonna bark a lot. And pretty much on cue, show him the cookie. He will bark. Ah, uh, let me see here. Yeah, actually, that's this story here is pretty pretty much summed up. You know, set her bond at a million dollars when they actually arrest her. That just doesn't Ow. make sense to me. Like, why would you do that? Um, I I don't get it. It doesn't. Uh, this stories like this don't make sense. Why would a Why would a police officer do that? Why would they arrest her and not actually test it on something other than their field equipment that they know can be faulty? Yeah. Why would they pull her over for you know tent on New uh-huh. Year's? Yeah, there are. One of the frustrating things I I actually personally know some cops who I really respect and really admire. Mm. Um. So I don't want to go lambasting all cops, but the problem is that 
just like in any field, you know, just like in my field of marketing, you have scummy people who are in there. And in most capitalist in- enterprises, what? Oh, no, 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 you're going to Okay. In most capitalist enterprises, um, you want to fire the scummy people because they're really bad for your business. Mm-hmm. But when you have government sector unions, they make it really hard to fire bad cops. So the so you, it could just be a case of two cops who are, you know, don't really care about civil liberties and just want you know some kind of charge to meet a court or whatever. Yeah. The problem is they'll never be fired. Oh no, they'll never be fired, and they get a very nice pension to boot. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like hey, um, they're. Firing isn't actually firing. It's hey, dude. You, yeah, you got to go to a desk. Yeah, because um, we can't. You you just can't go out anymore. So you just go on a desk and you know file the paperwork and maybe in two years you can go back out again because you screwed up pretty bad. Bad you, bad yeah. you. It's like the president in Saudi Arabia. Bad you. That's <laughs> it's a good zing, man. It's a good yeah. zing. Oh. <laughs> Let's see here. What we got here? Jules, when one can't sue the government, it creates a less moral government. Go figure. Eh. Yeah, absolutely. Eh. It's true. It's true. I saw a major lawsuit, and then I actually told you about the lawsuit, so that's good to go. Cops need to go back to taste test. <laughs> see, that, that there's, a, a there's a problem with that. that. But there's a problem with taste test, okay? Um, because everything's getting cut with fentanyl now. Mm-hmm. And fentanyl is so strong, it is so harsh, that even a small dab will mess you up. You could mm-hmm. actually die if you haven't been exposed to it before. You can die from it on yeah. first exposure if it's laced if it's laced in something. Yeah, taste test is... I, I think that's fine for, you know, alcohol. Um doesn't really work as well for hard drugs. You know, cop, cops, one of, one of the hazards of their jobs shouldn't be, let me try a dab of heroin, you know. Right. Let, let, me, let me see if this is actually meth. If my teeth fall out, then we know this person's a real dealer, you know. Right, right. But that'll take, you know, six, six months, but still. Yeah. <laughs> not quite the same. Just not yeah. quite the same. It doesn't, doesn't quite work. You know, I'm just going to tap my finger and dab it in. Now, that, that was the like, 70s and stuff like that, but no, it's a bad idea. It's a bad yeah. idea. The reason why they came out with these testers was to make sure that somebody doesn't have to do that. They don't have to expose themselves to this mess. Uh, but that's, I wish the case was that, you know, these guys in the, uh, that sell these machines actually knew for a fact that these machines wouldn't faulty, it wouldn't give faulty, uh, faulty bands or anything like that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty astounding that, uh, everything that they do seems to just turn to crap after a while when you, when you sell things to the government. It does. Yeah. Welcome back, all you radio people. This is the Defenders of American Exceptionalism. By the way, you can find us at doaeshow.com. doaeshow.com. For all the latest, we have articles posted um, weekly now. That's nice. It's nice. I'm hoping to get uh, daily, but weekly now. And uh, you, you can find all the new con- uh, contributors and authors there. You can also find our shop if you go to doaeshow.com forward slash shop. Uh, you can find wonderful mugs such as this, uh, shirts such as the one I'm wearing, um, and many, many other things, even yoga pants, ladies. Ladies. Sorry. <laughs> uh, just go to our uh, go to our website, doaeshow.com, um, and when you're there, be a friend. Sign up for, for at least becoming a shield bearer with us. Just uh, give, us a, give us your email address, be a shield bearer. It helps us in the long run, and it'll help you too. As we grow, you'll be able to get information about everything that's going on first and foremost. We'll let it be there. Anyway, Julian, you're stick around with us. You stuck around, yep. man. <laughs> Look at you, champion right there. <sighs> okay. United States judge 
mm-hmm. has struck down the Mississippi law that bans abortion after 15 weeks. This is troubling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, federal judge in Mississippi has permanently blocked uh, one of the most uh, restrictive abortion laws in the country. By the way, nowhere near as restrictive as our socialist friends over in Europe um, on a ban uh, to, that uh, on a ban to uh, for abortions after the 15th week of gestation. You see, the law was signed, uh, law, signed into law by, uh, by Governor Phil Bryant in March, uh, but a court quickly imposed a temporary block, um, which has been extended multiple times now, and the order has now been set to expire on Monday. See, the ban's lawfulness, this is a quote, hinges on a single question, whether a 15-week mark is before or after viability. This from the district court judge, um, Carlton Reeves. Julian, is uh, is that what it really relies on? Is that where it hinges? I do think viability is an important consideration. Um, and the reason – there's a fundamental divide, obviously, over abortion of when when the fetus becomes viable. You know, Because mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're a pro-lifer, especially if you're a Christian pro-lifer – um, as many of my friends are, and as I have, have am sort of squishily, um, you tend to believe that life begins at conception, um, mm-hmm. and that's that's when viability happens. And so, in in that case, you know, any any abortion, f- fifteen weeks is far too long, honestly. Well, see, um, it, and I I understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you say squishily. Um, yeah, I gotcha. Uh, <laughs> But any arbitrary line that you place, yeah, any arbitrary line that we place, can also be applied to somebody who has already been born. So what makes a what makes it viable at fifteen weeks or at twenty weeks? Oh, that you know that's the brain uh, that's the brain activity, or that's the heartbeats, or that's that's the lungs acting right, or that's the fact that it could live outside of the womb. Okay, sort of. But if it's the if it's the brain activity, then why do we have people in vegetative states in comas for twenty five years on a on a breathing machine? Mm-hmm. Sorry, if this one doesn't work, the adult doesn't work either. Well, they're adults; they're alive, not by your standard. No, they're not. <laughs> well, I think to push back a little bit on that, the the difference in that case is that the adult is not physically being cared for every day mm. um, and is not living inside a woman's body. Um, they are being physically cared for every day if they have one of those things missing. Let's say their lungs are, are. Aren't, working, uh, aren't working properly. They have to have a machine for their lungs. Let's say their brain activity isn't working anymore. They're technically dead, but they have a, they have a you know, iron lung you know, going through, pumping their blood. They have, they're actually being more of a drain on not only society, but everybody involved more than just one person more than just one life it it is being drained and decided upon when you have somebody that's 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 doing that so if you go by that standard that well you know that they're they don't have you know their lungs aren't fully capable or their brain activity isn't quite right Mm -hmm. you then put that same if you put that same notion on somebody that's outside of the womb Mm -hmm. you know Six inches is all we're talking about here. Yeah. Six inches and the fact that one is inside of a woman and one is outside of a woman. I'm sorry, but when you decided to have sex, that was your decision to possibly carry a child. If you don't understand the correlation and the connection there, then maybe you shouldn't have had sex in the first place. (laughs) We just talked about schooling and education and everything else. If you don't understand it... (laughs) Maybe maybe the correlation doesn't go there, but you know, in and how I see it, if it doesn't start at conception, if life doesn't start at conception, mm-hmm. then every benchmark you set after that, if you follow it to the logical end, 
should be applied to adults. That's interesting. And that's one thing that Peter Singer, he's a, a, a well-known utilitarian over at Princeton. He's extremely mm-hmm. pro-choice. Yes. And he talks about something similar where he argues that infanticide should be legal um, because the, the baby can't live on his or her own any more than the fetus can. Right. And I, I said I'm squishily pro, you know, pro-life because I'm not honestly sure when, when life begins. But if you don't believe it begins at conception, then there is a very slippery slope there. And there's not a ton of difference between an eight-month fetus – Sorry, uh, that's, which, that's, that's to, to the slippery slope reference. And, yeah. So but there's not a ton of difference between eight month fetus and and a newborn, and there are people on the pro choice side, not not a majority, I think, but there are fairly vocal people on the pro choice side who do believe in eight nine month abortions. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Actually, uh, I would uh, I would say that most of them do believe that it's okay up until the point of birth. Mm-hmm. Um, or a larger percentage than they give credit to. Yeah. Um, uh, there are a lot of people out there that do things politically thinking, you know, uh, oh, no, no, 20 weeks is all we ever want. I mean, come on. I mean, it's not like we're monsters, you know, when in reality it's, you know, Hillary Clinton in the back scrubbing up, uh, scrubbing all the uh, files and emails from her server in a toilet or something, you know. It's it's the same deal. <laughs> same deal applies in in many cases. Mm-hmm. If you believe in one if you believe it at one point, you can logically push yourself to believe it in the next. Because if it's a uh, woman's choice, if you believe that it's the woman's choice up until that child is born, then you can't say anything otherwise without being a hypocrite. Yeah, yeah, and I I agree. I do think most people are more middle of the road than than, than we believe because we live in politics, right? And so we we have Planned Parenthood talking on the one side, and we have you know the pro hardcore pro life organizations on the, on the on the other side, and we forget that those don't actually represent fifty fifty of the American public. Oh they no, represent, I, you know, I, I know they don't, I don't. I know that. I know they don't represent fifty fifty because that's yeah. Planned Parenthood is way out there. I mean, heck, Margaret Sanger, you know, the entire idea that, you know, they need to eliminate uh, one race over another and how they're going to do it is by, you know, what they're doing. Yeah, yeah that's that's very out there. I get you on that. That's uh, that's understandable. It's it's just to me. I can see where you're coming from on that. I can. Yeah. I can see where you're coming from on that. To me personally, though, um, if in your mind it's a woman's choice. Mm-hmm. That means in your mind, no matter what age that child is, what part of gestation is, it is still the woman's choice. If not, then you are hypocritical about your ideas or misunderstood. Yeah, I think there are definitely people who who do believe that. I, I think for most Americans, though, they see it as a balancing act where... They don't believe 100% in the rights of the woman. They don't believe 100% in the rights of the fetus. Mm-hmm. They're sort of looking for this. If you think of like a calculus problem, they're looking for the optimization point. They're looking for what's the perfect balance between um, the viability of the fetus and the, the woman's right to choose. I would say the perfect balance is very simple. Before you have sex, that is when you choose. Now, before we go, quickly... Um, couple things one last thing specifically federal judge has now put away the female genital mutilation laws saying that they violate the constitution um guys go read this story um it's over at the it's over at npr i've got it on the list you have to read it it is an unbearable the the reasoning that they give anyway folks You guys have a great week. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.
McDonald's crispy chicken sandwich. McDonald's spicy crispy chicken sandwich. And or filet of fish. Any two for just six bucks. Sounds really good, doesn't it? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. A single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer.